0: The reading is from Mark chapter four, verses one to thirty-four, on pages on page one thousand and five of the Church Bibles. Again, Jesus began to teach teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seeds. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying thirty, sixty, or even a 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that, they may, ever be, so that so they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seeds along the path, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop. 30, 60 or even 100 times what was sown. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, that is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in, its ear, in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything.
1: If you've been with us for the last few weeks, as we've worked through these first, um, up to today, three chapters, today the fourth chapter of Mark, one of the big themes that we've seen running through is the teaching of Jesus and the priority that Jesus gives it. We got a glimpse into his first um, mini-sermon, if you like, back in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Uh, We hear that the crowds are amazed at his teaching in verse 27 of chapter one, a new teaching with authority. And then we see Jesus' priority to teach later on in chapter one. He says he needs to go to the nearby villages so he can preach. That is why he has come. And now in chapter four, we get an extended piece of Jesus' teaching as he teaches in parables. Now a a parable, I guess in its simplest form, is a story with a meaning but it's slightly more than that. It has a a little bit of an obscure nature to it that makes you hear it and listen and need to engage with it to work out quite what is going on with it. it. There's a meaning behind it which makes you want to engage and ask questions of the parable. And I wonder if you noticed in verse 13 of our passage, we have the parable of parables, if you like, in our section. It's not just any parable. Here is the one that is about understanding the message that Jesus brings. So we need to get this one because it helps us understand the message that Jesus brings in all of his parables. We need this one to understand them all. And so in these parables, we see what happens when the message is spoken. We see what it is like, and we see what we should... Expect. And as Jesus teaches in this passage, he calls us to listen or to hear. Thirteen times in our passage, the call to listen or to hear comes up. Jesus must be calling us to listen because there's a danger that we don't listen. And I wonder today in our culture and society, we're not very good at listening. We like things brief. Just summarize it. Sometimes all we can manage is a tweet. Maybe if we're up for something a little bit longer, we're prepared to read a blog and listen to that. But often we don't want to listen for too long. Sometimes we just want to speak. And so as we're listening, we're we're just trying to interrupt because we want to get our thought or our point of view across. Jesus says, listen. And so let's listen this evening. As Jesus teaches us through these four parables and as we work through them we'll spend longer on the first parable Um, so don't panic when we get to the end of the first and you think we've still got three to go and it's got the rest of the evening ahead of us we will get there but we'll speed up as we go through the final three and as we do every Sunday evening the pigeonhole link is hopefully on the screen behind me Um, so if you've got questions as we work through it then do post them on there and we can have a look at those in a bit. Here's the first parable, then, as we look at the different responses to Jesus. The different responses to Jesus. Jesus is splitting opinion. Now, lots of things can split opinion. Um, Let's do a little bit of audience participation. You'll probably, some of you will be groaning at this point. Don't worry, it's no more than putting your hand up. Um, But let's do a little bit of audience participation to see how easy it is to split opinion. Um, So here's the first one. Um, Brussels sprouts in your Christmas dinner. Um, Those who are up for it, pro it, love it, hands up. Oh, wow, we've got quite a sprout. Fans in the house. Um, Those who are anti-sprouts... Definitely a win for the Sprouts. Interesting. Um, here's the next one. Sorry. Well, let me give a third option for this one. England's performance against the USA in the World Cup. Um, hands up for good results. One. Okay. Two. Um, hand up for bad performance. A lot more. Hands up for couldn't care less. <laughs> oh, that might win, you know. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, next one. 27th of November, too early to be talking about Christmas, hold off till the 1st of December, then we can get going thinking about Christmas and getting the tree in. Um, Hands up, 27th of November is too early, wait on. Okay, Um, hands up for get going, get the Christmas music on, get the Christmas films going. Uh, few, I reckon, yeah, I reckon Christmas spirit now wins for that one. Um, here's the last one, and this is the one that I reckon, since moving here, I've found has split opinion the most: Basingstoke. Yes or no. Now, since moving here, I really have had split opinion. I was speaking to someone yesterday who was gobsmacked that I had chosen to move from London to Basingstoke. He could not understand why. Um, Now, I realize that for a lot of us, a lot of you here, not me, a lot of you here, you've grown up in Basingstoke. You've known nothing else, and you've not had an option to be anywhere else. So you might not have anything else to compare it to. But let's go for it. Um, Those who are, yes, Basingstoke's the place to be. Amazing Stoke, as some people Call it not bad. Rob's Rob's a convert, obviously. Um, those who are more not quite sure, basic Stoke for me. Not many. Oh, good, good. We're enthusiasts about Basing Stoke here. Hey, look, Jesus is splitting opinion. So far, we've seen that through Mark. Remember last week how we saw we ended up with the outsiders, the religious leaders, Jesus's family. And the insiders, Jesus' disciples, the tax collectors, the sinners. And so our first parable shows us why there are different reactions to the message. Listen, Jesus says in verse 3, as he tells this parable. Let's have a look at the parable then. The farmer sows the seed, verse 3. And it almost seems like he's not a great farmer, because the seed goes everywhere. It falls on the path. Verse 4, and the birds came and ate it all up. It falls on the rocky places, verses 5 and 6, where there's this thin layer of soil, and so the seed can't get a root deep enough because of the rocks underneath to get moisture, and so the sun comes and scorches it. Verses 5 and 6, it falls among thorns, so there's no space to grow. The the seed as it tries to grow is literally choked out. Verse 7, And then finally, some falls on good soil, verse 8. And we're told it comes up, it grew, it produced a crop, and some crop. This is an abundant crop. This is a bumper crop. And then Jesus just finishes, verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What is going on? And that's what the listeners are meant to think. It causes you to respond. Yet there'll be some who hear this and go, no, nah, I'm just not interested. I'm not going to waste my time and effort trying to engage with this. Whilst others will be thinking, listening, what, what's, what's going on here? I've got questions. Who, who's the farmer? What's the seed and the soil about? Am I meant to be in this story? Who am I then? And this is what Jesus explains in verses 10 to 12. As we see a kind of change of scene, Jesus is no longer by the shore with the crowds, he's with his disciples. It's the insiders who want to know more, who are engaging and asking questions of Jesus. The outsiders have got disinterested. And these are tricky verses to try and get our heads around. And the important thing as we come to these verses is to understand the context of where they're coming from, to use the context tool, if you like. And so if you see at the bottom of page 1006, it has a a reference to the Old Testament, to Isaiah chapter 6, where Jesus quotes these verses from. And so in Isaiah, in the first five chapters of Isaiah, we're told about the pride and idolatry of a nation, a nation that thinks it's better than God, that they're above God, and in chapter 6, Jesus calls Isaiah the prophet, his messenger. And he sends Isaiah to his people to give them a message. And yet he tells Isaiah, these people have already rejected me. They're not interested in me. And so as you bring my message to them, it will just make them more hardened to me. They'll be even more even more less interested. That doesn't make sense. Does that make sense? They'll be even less interested, even more. Hmm. Hopefully you get what that means. And yet, as Isaiah goes to the pe- these people, where the majority will reject him, there'll be a remnant of a few who will accept the message. Some are not interested So they harden their hearts. They've already made their mind up about Jesus. And so when Jesus speaks, they're not interested in listening. They don't understand. They may see Jesus, but they don't perceive Jesus. They don't get Jesus. The parables divide people. People hear, but they don't want to engage. All will see and see and hear, but only the insiders will engage and want to know more. And so Jesus explains the parable in verses 14 to 20. And so as we go through Jesus's explanation, let's do it on two levels. Let's be thinking, what will this mean for the people right then as Jesus spoke? What does that mean for them? Who is Jesus talking about? And also, what does that mean for us? As we sit here in 2022, What does that mean for us then? So first part of the explanation in verse 14. The farmer sows the word. So we learn straight away, the farmer sows the seed, the farmer sows the word. The the seed is the word. The words of Jesus as he came and spoke to them. The word of Jesus in the Bible as we have it today. The farmer is Jesus as he arrives in Mark and teaches And the soils we see are the different hearts that receive the seed or receive the word. And so first, verse 15, some people are like the seed along the path. They do hear it, but there's no response. Satan takes it away. They have hard hearts, so hard that the word has no effect. These would be the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Who, who are so hardened to Jesus and his message, they, they've already made their mind up. They don't want to hear anymore. I'm sure we'll know people like this in our own lives, a colleague or a friend, who, who you may try and share something of what you believe with them, but almost every time you try to, they get even more hardened to it. There's the seed along the path, the hard hearts, Now, the next two soils refer to the crowds that we've encountered as we've traveled with Mark. Both of them initially receive the word, receive what Jesus has to say, but it doesn't take root in their lives. First, we're told some people are like the rocky places, verses 16 and 17, and they have shallow hearts. Initially, they receive it with joy, but when trouble and when persecution comes, they fall away. Notice two things that Jesus says about this type of soil. First, the troubles and persecution are because of the word. That is, the troubles and persecutions that are faced are because of persecutions that are faced for being a Christian. The opposition faced because you're trying to follow Jesus Christ. And notice it's when troubles and persecution come. There's an assumption that they will come it's how we are to respond to them. And for these people, it's, it's too much. Maybe you know of friends who, who at one stage seem excited to follow Jesus, a real enthusiasm about it. But, but when things got harder, when people started to question them, when they found there was a, there's a cost to following Jesus Christ, well, then that enthusiasm just faded away. That's the seed amongst rocky places, shallow hearts. And then we're told about the people where the seed is sown amongst thorns in verses 18 and 19. They have crowded hearts. They, again, they hear the word. But the worries of life, the distractions, the temptations, the idols, they, they choke the word. They, they take away its, its appeal and its attractiveness. Now, the distractions of this world will be a reality for every single person, every single Christian. I wonder what that might be for you. And so often these distractions can be good things that we then make the main thing in our life. So whether it's, it's our work, our job, or, or um, our academic success at school, at college. Maybe it's our health or, or relationships. Maybe it's comfort in life, approval in life. Jesus says, keep listening to me so that these distractions won't take you away. Later on in the New Testament, we're told when when the worries of this life can can take you over, what will it look like to, to draw near to the Lord, to cast your anxieties onto him because he cares for you? That's the seed amongst thorns, crowded hearts. And then finally we have the seed amongst good soil, verse 20. They have receptive hearts. Do you see what happens? They hear the word, they accept the word, and they produce a crop. They do what all the other soils fail to do. You see, Jesus shows what happens as people hear the word from him. Jesus shows what happens as people today will hear the good news about him. Jesus is challenging us about our hearts because notice it's not the external factors that stop the growth. That's just the circumstances. That's just the context in which the seed is looking to grow. No, it's the type of soil. It's our hearts. So what will it look like to have good soil, to have good hearts? Well, let's have a look at what the good soil produces, verse 20. They hear the word. What will it look like to make sure you're hearing the word regularly, not just today on a Sunday, but throughout the week? They accept the word. Can I ask, are there any areas of God's word which you don't want to accept? What will it look like to accept the word? And they produce a crop they bear fruit. It lets God's Word change you, and so there's transformation in the way you live. And so do you see the change that God's Word and God's Holy Spirit has on your life? Do other people see the change? As you're changed by God's Word and you produce fruits, later on in the New Testament, Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit as the Holy Spirit works in you, seeing love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness self control working its way out of you, and pray, pray that God will be doing this work in your hearts and there 's also a challenge for us from this parable as we as we look to go and to share the Word of God, will we go and sow <laughs> will we go and sow? recklessly as this farmer seems to do. So so not kind of analyzing the people who you might share Jesus with, thinking "Mm, what kind of soil might they be. But no, go and sow the word. It's what we want to do next week in this parish drop as we go and fly the whole parish, not thinking are they likely to come or not, maybe I'll save a flyer for another door. But no, we want to give every single door or the person behind the door the chance to hear the good news of Jesus. And as we go and share, will we be disappointed but not surprised by a lack of response? I'm sure we can all testify to all the soils being present when we've looked to share Jesus with people. Be disappointed. We want people to engage. But don't think you're doing something wrong. And don't be surprised in fact in a funny way be encouraged because this is what jesus said would happen it's not taking jesus by surprise and so will we trust god as we say why can we trust god well the final three the other three parables show us why so here's the second parable jesus is here so listen to him jesus is here so listen to him verse 21 He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or in a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is here. And there are some people who are actively trying to stop him speaking, like the Pharisees. Or we heard last week of his family who are trying to take charge, take control of Jesus. And today we'll, I'm sure, all know of the efforts being made to stop the good news of Jesus from spreading. But now Jesus is here. He's burst onto the scene in Mark and the kingdom of God is arriving. It's to be disclosed. It's to be brought out into the open. The light has come to shine into the darkness. Jesus is here, so listen to him. And do you notice the contrast we get in verses uh, 24 to 25 again on the reactions to Jesus? Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more, Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Jesus is saying, if you know Jesus, continue to listen to him. Continue to receive from him. Continue to draw near to him. And so as you do that, enjoy the change and receiving from him more. And I'm sure there are people in this room who can testify over the years and decades they followed Jesus. As Jesus has worked in their life and the change that's happened in their life as a result. And yet, for those who continue to reject the message of Jesus, well, Jesus says, well, you'll get what you want. <laughs> Jesus is here, so listen to him. And then the next parable, God will grow his kingdom, so trust in him. How does God's kingdom grow? How does it take root and, and grow in people's lives? Well, verse 26 we sow the seed. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. We need to plant the seed. And so the challenge is, will we go and plant the seed like in the other parable? We've heard about the Christmas services. What will it look like to, to think about who I can I invite to hear something of the good news of Jesus this Christmas? But how does God's kingdom grow? Verses 27 and 28. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. It is God who produces the growth. It is God who will grow his kingdom. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is powerful. So we can trust him with it. It's something we've seen here at St. Mary's. It's it's been one of the greatest joys as I've joined this church to hear of the history of St. Mary's and to meet people here who have been here for decades and can testify to the growth that God has done in this church, so much so that we outgrew the old church and we need a new building. It is God who will grow his kingdom. It's not down to you. Let that be a wonderful encouragement. And so the harvest comes, we're told in verse 29. How do we know the harvest will come? Because God will grow his kingdom. And so the final parable shows us his kingdom will grow. So praise him. Verse 30, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Our final parable is all about the size of God's kingdom and how it grows. And just in case there are any botanists in the room who who are struggling to concentrate uh, because of the apparent inaccuracy in what Jesus is saying, today we know apparently the orchid seed is the smallest seed we know of now. Apparently as small as a speck of dust but back in the first century the mustard seed was the known smallest seed that was planted in the ancient Near East and so as Jesus speaks to those who would know of the seeds around them it was the mustard seed that was the smallest seed and yet the mustard seed that would grow big enough for the birds to nest in. Do you see what he's saying about the kingdom of God? that whilst it may start out so small and, and barely visible, it will grow to a great size and be a kingdom that will have no end. And it will continue to grow. Kingdoms may come and go, but God's kingdom will never end. And so if we were to look back at Christianity in the first century, or if we do look back at Christianity in the first century, It was nothing impressive compared to the massive establishment of the Jewish nation, compared to the Roman Empire it found itself in. No chance it would take root and grow. And yet what happened? AD 70 saw the fall of the Jewish establishment. AD 476 saw the fall of the Roman Empire. And yet the church continued to grow, not just in Israel, but spread across the world. And so while starting with 11 disciples, it grew to 120 at Pentecost in 33 AD and grows to over 2 billion Christians worldwide today. Kingdoms rise and fall, but God's kingdom will last forever. And so as you look around the world today, God's church continues to grow. There's growth in Africa and in Asia and across Latin America. In fact, when I was looking this week, do you know the country in which it has the, the church is growing its, at its fastest rate is in Iran? Isn't that spectacular? That whilst there's such persecution of Christians and oppression against its own citizens, God's church will not be thwarted. And actually after I mentioned that this morning, I was chatting to someone who knows people, uh, missionaries in Iran, and they were saying what is actually happening is the Christians have, have been already thrown in prison, and yet now they're arresting citizens and throwing them in prison. The Christians who are already in prison are evangelizing to those who are being thrown in prison with them. And as the prisons are getting too big, they're pulling the Christians out and releasing them so the Christians are being released to go and evangelize everyone else. It's quite incredible as God works through his church to grow his kingdom. Will we be encouraged? Even though the gospel may seem small and unimpressive, God is in charge, and he will grow his church. And so as we see many different reactions to Jesus, let's continue to listen to him. Let's continue to trust him. And let's continue to praise him. Let me pray for us now. Father God, thank you for Jesus and his teaching. Thank you that we can read it today in the words of your Bible. Thank you for the good news of the kingdom. Lord, we pray that your word, your seed would be sown in Basingstoke so people might hear it and respond to it, and there may be good soil around us. Please, Lord, would you continue to grow your kingdom here in Basingstoke, across our country, and across the world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
2: Inviting Willie back up, we're going to have a go at some of the questions. There are good questions, as always, actually, um, Mm. today, and some tricky ones as well. So... We're going to start, we're going to try and group um, some of the uh, questions that have been asked so that everyone kind of, we can cover as much as possible. Um, A lot cover a theme of people drifting um, and the idea of people that I guess have been converted but then drift away. And so one asks, is that even possible? Um, And then also, how does it affect our evangelism? What do we do if we know someone who has seemingly drifted away? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, you can tackle those for us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, good questions.
2: Um, I think what this
1: parable is really helpful to do is to show us the the different kind of responses that we might see to the gospel and um, what can happen as people hear the gospel. I think what this parable doesn't want us to do is try and analyze every single person and go, right, what soil is that person? What soil is that person? Um, As we mentioned, the farmer just goes and sows. And so I say that to guard us against kind of... um, overanalyzing people and thinking oh that person I knew they must have been that soil so what can we do now Um, we want people to hear the good news of Jesus we want people to respond to the good news of Jesus we want people to keep going in the good news of Jesus and so when I speak to friends who are Christians I would say are you still trusting in Jesus keep on trusting in Jesus. Every morning, wake up and say, I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior so that you can keep on trusting in Jesus. That, that's to say, um, a kind of yes and no in terms of can people fall away? I know people, I did a gap year with someone who when we did our Christian gap year said, I am a Christian, I, I believe in Jesus Christ and yet today would say, I'm not a Christian and so from a human perspective, it would seem that he's fallen away. And yet, the Bible tells us God holds on to those who are his and will not let us go. And so there's kind of that both-and of you keep going, keep trusting in Jesus Christ every single morning, and God will never let you go. What will that look like as we know others who appear to have drifted? What do the questions say? Um, friends who seem keen drift away, should we go back to them or do we just leave it over to God? Uh, How does it affect our evangelism? Again, I don't want to overanalyze their soil. So my friend who I did a gap year with, I don't know what soil he is. So I still want to pray for him and I still want to share Jesus with him because I want him to receive the word, accept it and trust in Jesus and produce fruit. So I still want to go back and and say, hey, Baz, do you remember our gap year together? Do you remember what we looked at? What do you think of Jesus? And so, yeah, I still want to keep going with them in my evangelism. Hopefully that answers some of it. Do come and chat to me more if that's raised more questions or um, you're not sure, um, because that is a really tricky one that the passage does draw out. So it's a really good question.
2: Yeah, that's helpful. And also the point you made during... The, the sermon about trusting God to provide that growth is, I think, helpful in that, and, you know, in our, evangel- in our evangelism, trusting Him to to be the one growing. Great. So, um, next question uh, relating to verse twenty: Does verse twenty imply that to be a true Christian you have to bring, or at least try to bring, others to Him as well? Why? Why not?
1: Great. Well, um, l- let me use the language you used in the question. Um, No, it doesn't imply that, because to be a true Christian is to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and to trust in him as your saviour. That's what grace is about. It's been done for you, so it's not about what you do. It's about accepting what has been done for you and trusting in him as Lord and saviour. That's what it means to be a true Christian, to use the language of the question. What does it look like to live out that Christian faith is to Um, spend time with Jesus, is to be a part of a church family, is to look to share Jesus with other people. I find that really, really hard. And so if I'm not able to do it or I'm not doing it, does that that make me not a Christian? I I don't think it does. I think what makes me a Christian is trusting in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Also, um, it was really interesting looking at this this week, and, and like the questioner I think I always read it as the crop being other people coming to Christ through me the good soil and it is that but it's not just that it's also the crop or the fruits and we see it in the end of verse uh, 19 the other soil being unfruitful and so the good soil being fruitful not just in the impact on other people but the fruit produced in your own life and so we talked about what does that look like for the change in your own life? And I use the example of the fruits of the Spirit being seen as, as God's Word does its work in my life so I might be changed to become more like Jesus and have the fruits of the Spirit working in and through me.
2: Brilliant. That was really helpful. Uh, we'll finish on this last one then that is a really good question and one that I and I'm sure many others here can, can empathize with. Um, is I want to tell others about Jesus, but I'm scared as lots of my friends disagree with some Christian views such as relationships, etc. that I'm not sure I can answer well enough. How can I overcome this?
1: Yeah, um, let me say, so am I. I'm scared of the reaction my friends and neighbours who aren't Christians will have when I look to share Jesus with them. Um, so pray. Pray that... Jesus will work in you and us and give us the confidence and the boldness to be able to go and share Jesus with people. Um, Another thing just on the question, don't think that you need all the answers before you can go and do evangelism. If that was the case, none of us would do evangelism. And so if you are here sat as a Christian, you know enough to go and share Jesus with people because what people need to hear is Jesus. Um, to give it another kind of angle to the question, I'm trying in my evangelism, I, I think people I know who aren't Christians have a negative perception of evangelism, that it's all about what it takes away from my life and makes it boring. I want to try and change that perception to show what Christianity can offer their life and bring their life. Does that make sense? And so rather than them going, oh, what are the rules about relationships? I want to go, no, look at the goodness of the gospel and what it can bring. So, for example, another plug for the Christmas services. Here's the ver- one of the verses we'll be looking at. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That is what we want to share with people this Christmas. Good news of great joy. And so I want my friends to hear that about Christianity. Christianity brings joy. I reckon people want that. Christianity brings hope. I reckon people want that. Christianity brings peace. I reckon people want that. And now that's not to stop the questions they have, bring the questions and and opportunities to do that, like last night with the women's curry evening, chance to ask any questions. And we want to be able to try and answer them but I want more than just answering their question. I want to show them Jesus and the joy that he can bring this Christmas and the hope and the peace. Um, Another quick thing to say on this, we as a church really want to help you to be able to go and share Jesus. And so whether you're a young person, you have that question, or a kind of 20s or 30s, or older. Um, We want to think through how can we best help you to answer these questions or to share share Jesus with people. So do be asking us about that, and we want to think about how we can help you to do that well.